So ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, those of you who have not gone through to uh, the other seminar this morning and have decided to stay here, I, I can announce officially today with a drum roll that this is the final message in the Gospel of Luke, in our series in the Gospel of Luke. How about that? So I think you need to give yourself a pat on the back, just pat yourself on the back. Uh, that's it, come on, pat yourself on the back. You've sat through two and a half years of Luke's Gospel. How about that? Amazing. Um, and I hope you've enjoyed it. Um, can you just bring my voice down a tiny bit? Thanks, uh, Amos. Um, I hope you have enjoyed I've loved going through this Gospel. And what's amazing to me is that even though we've spent so long in it, it stayed fresh. You know, you come to the next passage and you think, oh, okay. There's another thing here that God wants to say to us, and it's God's words. Not surprising, really, I suppose. But um, we're going to read the last um, section. Well, it's not because Joshua did the last section, but I'm just hopping back to the to Luke 24, uh, starting in verse 13. So let's read that. Uh, now that same day, two of them were going to a, a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. Should just say that that seven miles. Um, it's 60 stadia, uh, and um, it's possible that um, the round trip from Jerusalem to Emmaus and back was seven miles, um, so that it was 30 stadia one way, 30 back, um, or it's possible that it was literally seven miles all the way there and seven miles all the way back, in which case they did a total of 14 miles that day, um, there and back, or... It, as I say, it was kind of seven, you know, it was a seven round, uh, round trip. But uh, um, it says uh, that uh, it was about seven miles from Jerusalem. Verse 14, they were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you only visited Jerusalem and do not know the things that have happened here in these days? What things? he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a, a prophet, powerful in word indeed, before God and all the people. The chief priests and all the rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it's the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they'd seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but him they did not see. He said to them, how foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus acted as if he was going further. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it's nearly evening, the day's almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. And then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, 
Were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven, those with them, assembled together and saying, It's true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognised by them when he broke the bread. So I don't know um, if you like uh, going on walks, um, but there's something about going on a walk with friends, isn't there, where you kind of just get talking when you're walking. Uh, It's quite a nice way to just have a natural conversation. I know that uh, for example, Val's just been on a walking holiday with Lillian and uh, the Motley crew uh, up in, um, and who, who else the other person? Libby. Libby, that's right, up in the Lake District. Um, but when you, when you go for walks, you get talking. And of course, here we have three people who fall into conversation together as uh, they're walking. And of course, this uh, wonderful narrative is full of irony, Um, because, of course, they don't realise that the person they are talking about is actually there with them, and they're talking about him, though they do not realise that it is him. It's full of delicious irony, it's an amazing story, and it's full of humanity as well. I want to give you some headings, um, which I've just come up with, which I hope will help you to uh, remember uh, and to follow along with me. So, first of all, we have two sad faces. So in verse 15, we read that these two uh, disciples, as they're walking along, it tells us that they are downcast. Must have been obvious from their body language, perhaps they're kicking the ground, their heads are perhaps bowed down, their shoulders slumped, maybe their voices are kind of just, it's obvious in some way they are downcast. And then in verse 21, they're also disappointed. It says in verse 21 that they had hoped. We'd hoped that he was going to be the Messiah. We had great hopes. We thought the future was bright when Jesus was marching into Jerusalem with the crowds and we were finally going to come to Jerusalem and set uh, the Jews free from Roman oppression Uh, There'd been a brief moment back in the Maccabean period when uh, the Romans had been and the Greeks had been kicked out and the Jews had had some independence in their their town, uh, in their their, uh, country. But then that had gone and and now we're just under the thumb of the Romans again. But now we've hoped. We were feeling hopeful. But the hope has disappeared. They've taken the posters down and it all fizzled. So they're disappointed. And then thirdly, they're confused as well. It tells us in verse 22 that they've heard these confusing reports about apparently there's an empty tomb. We don't know what they've done with his body. And so they're confused. They're downcast, they're disappointed, and they are confused. Today, you know, there are plenty of reasons why plenty of people can feel downcast, disappointed, and confused. Perhaps even sometimes we can be in that category. Certainly those outside can as well. So we have two sad faces. And then we have two new footsteps. Here they are, walking along the road, the two of them. And perhaps they hear behind 
two new footsteps. Then this person who's walking a bit faster comes alongside them and instead of pushing on past them, falls in step with them and falls in conversation with them. If they were British, probably the opener would be, hey, it's a bit hot today, isn't it? Uh, But it looks like they just fell into conversation with him asking them some questions. But it's amazing that Jesus does this. You see, Jesus, you would have thought after he'd risen from the dead, would want to go straight to heaven on a victory lap. He's just done it. He's defeated death. And you think that his job is done. I mean, surely he came to live a perfect life. He came to die a sacrificial death. He came to rise again, to defeat death, to defeat our enemies. He's done all of those things. The job is done. So surely now he can go to heaven. But no, actually the job is not finished because he has to share this news. He has to proclaim. He has to show people the truth of what has happened. You see, unless people hear this good news about Jesus and about the resurrection, it stays theoretical. People have to know about it. And Jesus has to show people and proclaim to people the truth of what has just happened. And then the job is done. Well, there's also going to be Ascension and Pentecost, but the job on earth is done. And it's all very well, you see, that Jesus rose from the dead, but actually we are called to proclaim that good news to those around us. It tells us in Romans 10 and uh, verse 14, Romans 10 and verse 14 says that um, how then can they call on the, on the one they have not believed in and how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard and how can they hear without someone preaching to them and how can they preach unless they are sent as it is written how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news it has to be proclaimed so jesus falls in alongside these two something else that's quite amazing about this is that jesus doesn't go to the important people at this point I mean, obviously, he has gone and will go to the apostles. But here, we just got two fairly anonymous disciples, two ordinary people. Jesus chooses to spend an afternoon in conversation just after he's risen from the dead, when you'd think he'd have better things to do, walking and talking with two ordinary disciples. We know one of them, Cleopas, is his name. We never hear about him again in the Bible. Um, He's pretty anonymous. The other one, we never know this person's name. Just ordinary disciples. And yet Jesus, the risen son of God, wants to spend time with these two ordinary people. And then notice another thing. As he's talking with them, he doesn't walk up to them and say, hey guys, look, I know you're looking very disappointed, but ta-da, it's me. I'm risen. Hey, look, cheer up. He doesn't do that. He doesn't go, Shazam, I'm alive. Right? Instead, he enters into a journey with them. He enters into a conversation with them. He teases out their, the truth. He, he teases out from their hearts what they're, what's going on with them, and then he 
declares the truth to them, he goes on a journey with them. So we've had two sad faces, two new footsteps, and now we have two great questions. Jesus asks them two great questions. The first one, of course, is in verse 17, where he says, why are you downcast? He wants them to express how they're feeling. They've already been talking with one another about how they're feeling and what's going on, and it's a good thing to have conversation. It's a good thing to articulate how you're feeling. You know, it's good for you, to, someone to ask you, you know, why are you feeling the way you are? Tell us what's going on. How are you? Uh, and uh, they're doing that. They're having a conversation. And now Jesus asks them. He knows, of course, but he wants them to say it. And so he invites them to express how they're feeling. And he connects with them at that level. And then he asks them a second question in verse 19. He says, what things do you know? They've said, don't you know about all the things that have happened in Jerusalem? And Jesus says, what things? So he wants them to now say what they already know, what they already believe. He wants to establish the facts. What do you already know? And it's interesting what they say in answer to that. You see, they do actually know quite a lot. It's like these disciples have got this jigsaw puzzle and they're trying to put the pieces together to try and make it fit and, and they still can't work it out, but they have got quite a few of the pieces. They say, well, well, Jesus, uh, this man, he was a prophet. They know that he was a prophet. They know that he was a bit more than a prophet. He was powerful in word and in deed, they say. He was powerful in word. He was powerful in deed. And then they say he was a redeemer. We'd hoped that he would redeem us. They understood that he was supposed to be a redeemer. Of course, Someone who redeems is someone who pays a price to set someone free. A redeemer is someone who sets somebody free through the payment of a price. And they knew that he was, they thought he was a redeemer. They hadn't thought through the fact that, of course, to be a redeemer, he was going to have to pay a price. There was going to be a cost. They hadn't thought that through. They wanted the glory, but they hadn't thought about the cost and the suffering. And so they say... We had hoped that he'd be a redeemer, but he's been crucified. And you notice this, right? They're saying, we'd hoped he'd be a redeemer, but he's been crucified. What they should have said is, we'd hoped that he would be a redeemer, and therefore he was crucified. Because that's how he was going to be the redeemer. By being crucified, by paying the price. For their sins. That was how he was going to set them free from slavery to sin and death. It was going to be through him dying and overcoming death and their slavery to sin. But they didn't understand that. They didn't put that piece of the jigsaw together. So they, they say, well, we'd hoped he'd be our redeemer, but he died. And they say, and, and now we've heard that the tomb is empty. So they've got that piece of the jigsaw as well. There's something. But they haven't thought through, well, he's risen from the dead. Even though Jesus had said many times, of course, to the disciples that, that he would die, but then he would uh, be raised again after three days, the temple would be rebuilt. He'd said it, but they didn't believe it. They didn't understand it. And so they, they're just confused, and they think it's just an empty tomb 
uh, but not a risen saviour. Amazing, isn't it, how these disciples do know so much and yet they still don't understand. You know, people do, they can know a lot, but they can still be blind. You know, people can even be kind of taught, they, they could even be raised, they could understand a lot of the stuff that we say, and yet they, they can still not really see it fully for themselves. But God can open people's eyes, and he does. And so we've had two sad faces, we've had two new footsteps, we've had two great questions, and now we have two fresh challenges. You see, Jesus could have just stopped there. He could have just listened sympathetically to their feelings, drawn out what they were thinking, and then kind of put his arm around their shoulders and said, oh, I'm sorry, guys, that you feel so sad, you know. But he does more than that. He now challenges them. So sometimes we do need to move to that point where we challenge people. Sometimes, you know, we can just go around in circles, pooling our ignorance with one another. Or sometimes we can provide some information and some provocation to someone so that they move into a new place of understanding. And Jesus does that. He, he has the courage to now bring provocation to them and information to them that's going to move the needle significantly in their lives. And so he says to them, in verse 25, how foolish you are. <laughs> That's a bit rude, isn't it? I mean, probably the, the, the Greek is a bit, the NIV is a bit harsh there. It might have been slightly softer than that. It might have been how dull you are. But that's still not a compliment, is it? How dull you are. You guys are a bit dull, a bit dim, guys. Um, but... He, he does challenge them, and he says how slow you are to believe all that the prophets have said. You're, you're a bit slow to believe. Now, Jesus is going to speak to them in such a way that they're going to go from being slow in the slow lane, in first gear, to suddenly kind of like in the fast lane, in top gear, because he's going to speak to them and provoke them. And so in verse 26, he says to them, how foolish you are, slow to believe, did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? So he had to suffer. That was always part of the plan, that the Christ would suffer. That's what it tells us in the Old Testament. Isaiah 53, for example, and other verses which talk about how he would, he would bear our iniquities upon himself how, how he would be despised and rejected by men, how he would suffer in order to, for us to be healed, in order for us to be saved, that he would take the iniquity of us all upon himself, that he would suffer, but then he would be glorified. And so then he takes them on this amazing Bible masterclass. And we can all wish that we had been there to hear this, can't we? Because it tells us that from Moses all the way through the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. So Jesus took them through the Old Testament and he explained to them how it was all about him. It was all pointing to him. 
You know, folks, it is all about Jesus. It is all about him. And he shows them how that is the case. So we've had, and you can say this with me if you like, two sad faces, two new footsteps, two great questions, two fresh challenges, and then there are two breakthrough moments. Verse 32, it tells us that they look back on this conversation with Jesus and they say, were our hearts not burning within us as we listened to him? There was power in his words. There was something that he said that resonated within our spirits and our hearts. It wasn't the physical presence of Jesus that caused them to burn. It was his word, the power of his spoken word that burnt within them, that brought life within their dead hearts. You know, God's word is powerful. That's why the Apostle Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of all who believe. The gospel has power to change us. And as Jesus explains from the scriptures how it's all about him, their hearts start to burn. They start to come alive. We read about John Wesley, how he was converted. He was dragged reluctantly to a meeting where they were explaining from the book of Romans. They were reading out the preface to the book of Romans and explaining about sin and about Jesus and about justification by faith. And as he was there at that meeting, John Wesley says, I felt my heart strangely warmed. As he heard this message, something happened inside him. Oh, sees that there's life here. Sees that this is the way, the truth, and the life. And so God's word has this power to bring life to these people. And then there's another breakthrough moment, of course, because in verse 31 and uh, verse 30 and 31, it tells us that they got to this house and it was now getting dark and it was nighttime and the disciples said to Jesus, oh, look, come, come on inside, you must eat with us. You can't walk out, you can't carry on now, it's too late. We, we've walked long enough today, come on, in you come, come and have a meal. So he says, oh, okay, I'll come and have a meal with you. And in he goes, and now it tells us that as he was breaking bread, their eyes were opened. And it would be nice as a preacher to say that this was him having communion with them. But actually, I don't think that that is what was happening here. First of all, because it doesn't tell us that there was any wine involved. He didn't break bread and then he didn't give them the wine after that. And secondly, just don't forget, it was only three days before with only the 12 in the upper room that Jesus had actually done communion for the first time. These two disciples were not there. They've never seen communion. And so I, I don't think that this was a, a communion, as it were. I think what was happening was, it's the start of the meal. You know if you go to a restaurant and they put some bread on the table and uh, you maybe just take the bread and pass it round the table before you dive into the rest of the meal. And so there we are, we've got some bread, and Jesus takes it and he breaks it and he gives thanks for this meal that we're about to receive. You know, he says thanks for this, bread, for this meal. And as he breaks bread, suddenly it says their eyes were opened. I mean, God just opened their eyes. God revealed his truth to them. It tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and uh, verse 4, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, 
says, um, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus, Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants, for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. God is able to shine a light into dark hearts. He is able to reveal himself to people, to open blind eyes. And that's what happens to them. And so, finally, you can say this with me, we have two sad faces, two new footsteps, two great questions, two fresh challenges, two breakthrough moments, and finally we have two excited disciples. All at once, in verse 33, it says that immediately they got up and decked it back to Jerusalem. I mean, here's these disciples who only a little bit earlier had said to Jesus, it's getting dark, we can't walk now, uh, you know, we've done enough walking, we can't possibly do any more walking, uh, it's too dark, uh, you might trip up. It's... All of a sudden, these guys, I don't care if it's dark, I don't care if it's late, I don't care how far we've walked. We're going back to Jerusalem to tell everybody about this. And so all of a sudden, they're doing a park run back to Jerusalem at the, at the end of the evening after all they've been through. But they're so excited because they have seen who Jesus is. They've seen this gospel. They've understood it. And so their knees are up, their heads are up, their hearts are up. And they get back to Jerusalem and their voices are up as they proclaim to the guys, hey, we've seen him, he's alive. And they go, yeah, we know, we know, we also saw him, he's alive. So two excited disciples. So that's the, the story. And I just want to apply it at two levels for us. And they're quite simple and, and straightforward. The first is this, ourselves. You know, even as Christians, there are times when we can be sad, when we can be disappointed, when we can be confused. And Jesus knows. And he's willing to fall in step with us and walk alongside us through those times. And he cares about those things. And he wants you to tell him about those things. Why are you downcast? Talk to me about it. Tell me what's going on. And that's why it's good to go to a group, for example, because that's a place where you can talk about your faith, where you can talk about your experiences, about your life. And there's others there who can share with you and little do you know, as you're talking together as a group, Jesus is sitting there as well, and he's also listening, and he's talking, and he's bringing you provocation and information and speaking to you so that your hearts can start to burn again, so that your sadness can be turned into joy, your mourning into dancing, your 
your disappointments can be turned back into hope. Your confusion can be turned again into clarity. Jesus can come alongside us and he can change everything for us. Even in the challenges, he can still give us the strength and help us so that our hearts are burning within, that we know that God is with us, God is for us, God is on our side, God has taken our sin. If God is for us, who can be against us? As we see the truth of his promises, as we're reminded of what he's done for us, as we're reminded that we're, we're more than conquerors through Christ, that there's no condemnation for those uh, who believe in him as we're reminded of the gospel, the glorious resurrection. Jesus is alive. Jesus is sovereign over everything. That means even in your most difficult moments, he is risen. He's on the throne. He's, he's Lord over everything. He's in control of everything. And as uh, whatever you're going through, you can lift your eyes up and you can see the truth of who he is and what he's done and, and therefore that he is with you and never will he leave you or forsake you. And so we can, we can meet with him in the middle of those things. He comes and he journeys with us in those things. But then there are also, of course, the people out there. And there are many people out there who are, of course, also uh, sad, disappointed, confused, so many confusing voices, so many reasons to be anxious, so many difficult things going on in people's lives. And he wants us to be like Jesus to those people, coming alongside those people, just one person at a time. Don't have to stand up and preach to the whole everybody in, at work in your canteen. You can just go and sit at a table with someone at your canteen, have a chat over lunch. Go to your neighbor and uh, say, hey, do you like to come to a comedy night? Um, it's gonna be fun, it's uh, a clean night, free. Uh, you can have a, a meal at a pub with us, come to a comedy night, Would you, why don't you come? We can just do that, one person at a time. Sometimes that takes a bit of courage, doesn't it? To, to bring that little challenge. Sometimes I think people think, for example, that I uh, like to just go up and just challenge people. Do you know, I don't, I hate confrontation. I, I don't really like confronting people. Sometimes I know I should, I should bring a challenge. I should just have the courage because I think they need a little bit of help. They need the needle moved in their life. And, and if I don't say something, then they're just gonna stay where they are. So. Sometimes we need to steal ourselves. I need to just say something. And, and uh, I need to just make that invitation. I, I remember um, many years ago when um, I became Christian and my dad was very unimpressed. Um, I, I was about to go into training as a, as a solicitor. I was about to start law college after my degree. And he was very proud of the fact I was about to do that. And then... Uh, I said to him like two days before I was about to go to law college, I said, oh, by the way, I'm not going to go. I'm going to just go and study the Bible with that wacky church in Odium, which he thought was a cult because um, it wasn't the Church of England, you know. And uh, so he was not impressed. So I, I left home uh, on my moped uh, and went to um, a, a hotel where I'd been working over the summer and just lived in the servants' quarters there uh, and just studied the Bible. And, uh, uh, and my dad and I didn't talk for a little while. 
Um, I think he decided that he did approve of me eventually when I met Kate. Uh, and then uh, we got married, and then he thought, oh, actually, maybe that, that lot aren't so bad after all, um, after we met Kate, so, so, you know, we were, it, it was fine. We were reconciled, but I can remember we were doing an alpha course, and I, um, I thought, I want to invite my mum and dad to the supper, but uh, I really don't know if they're going to be, you know, they'll be a bit offended or they won't be interested. I can remember one day, parking outside their house, tiptoeing down the gravel drive, putting the alpha invitation through the letterbox, and then quickly backing up and getting back into the car. And then I messaged, oh, I, I don't know if you, I don't think I even messaged, I just sort of left it, because um, I'd written on it from Andy. Um, and then they contacted me, oh, thanks for the invitation, yeah, we'd love to come. So, oh, really, okay, great, so they did. And actually, there was an amazing thing happened. Uh, they then came on the Alpha course, and, and my dad sat there and go, was saying, you know, actually, you know, what Andy said, I've changed my I He's right. He was right all along. Uh, I can remember it. So, you know, God sometimes wants us to just take that courage in our hands, take that invitation. It's not all about Alpha, but we have got that great opportunity in just over a week's time. Just come along, bring a friend, have a nice evening. Let God do the rest. He can look after the rest. You see, all we have to do is come alongside people. All we have to do is be available to talk to people. And, and then God is the one who opens eyes. You don't have to open their eyes. God can do that bit. He can do the rest. But we need to be obedient. We need to follow the promptings. We need to have the courage. We need to be Jesus to the people around us. Listen, folks, if Jesus, who... Uh, the risen Jesus who, who should really have been doing a victory lap in heaven by now was willing to spend an afternoon walking with two anonymous disciples and talking to them then surely we should be willing to put aside the important things that we have to do to be with someone to talk to someone to have that little moment with someone to make that phone call whatever so let's be those people because the job is not done until the word has been proclaimed and those in Fleet and Odium and Heart District and, and the ends of the earth have heard this good news that Jesus is alive. So let us pray together. If there's something right now that you know is causing you to be discouraged or disappointed or confused, then God knows all about it and just quietly in your heart, why don't you just tell him that thing? Lord, thank you that you are interested in our ordinary lives and the sometimes extraordinary challenges that we face. Thank you that you care, you know, you understand, you come alongside us. And I pray that you would meet with us in those things. I pray that you would give us hope. I pray that you would give us comfort 
that you would give us promises and remind us of the truth so that we can be strong through these times so that we can stay joyful in the midst of challenges Lord I pray for every brother and sister here Lord meet with them may they go from here with their head lifted up with hope in their heart and Lord may we also go from here with the truth with the good news ready to share Lord, I pray, just would you put it on our hearts if there are people that you want us to reach out to, even today, Lord, tomorrow at work, whenever. Lord, help us, Lord. Help us to be like you to those around us. Help us, Lord. I pray, just put people on our hearts. Help us to have courage. Help us to sometimes bring that challenge, Lord, to bring that kind of just word to someone, I pray. Lead us, Lord. We want to be obedient to you. We want to know that you've sent us. We are sent people. We take that commission seriously.